Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What would you do if you had the ability to sync minds with your best friend? A partner? Maybe even a stranger? Would you share the deepest part of yourself with them? I can already read your mind. Then what am I thinking about right now? You're thinking about how much you want people to support our Kickstarter for our first feature film, Sync. You're so right. If we raise the money, we can make an amazing sci-fi thriller about mind syncing and toxic relationships. Support women in film and check out our campaign now. Just go to kickstarter.com and search SYNC, that's S-Y-N-C, or click on the link in our bio on social media and follow us at FemRegard and at SYNC the Movie. Mmm, Fem. Phantom Planet had a modest radio hit with their single California in 2002. When a little TV show called The OC debuted and used the song as its theme song, however, it skyrocketed the band to stardom. The album The Guest was not just a favorite of this week's guest, Matt, Team Goldie DiStefano, but it also had a permanent place in the CD rotation on early Punchline tours. When it came time for Phantom Planet to record a follow-up album, their shift in sound led to a slide off the charts. This week, we're driving down the 101 and looking for the number one reason this great band didn't reach even greater heights. On the stereo, listen as we go, nothing's gonna stop me now. California, here we come, right back where we started from. One hit is all you need to make the money guaranteed. Live off royalties forever And it makes me wonder Is it just a wonder Or is it one hit thunder Welcome back, Matt. It's been a while, and I believe this time your audio quality is much better than last time you appeared on the show. (laughs) Yeah, I was using a different setup for the first time, which turns out bad idea to try to record a podcast with something new that you're not used to. And we heard the results. But yeah, happy to be back. I I clearly made such 
a an astounding impression on both you guys and your guests that I'm coming back two and a half years later. That's so, right. <laughs> and, and, all of that in mind, I have stuff planned today. I have some surprises for us. Hell yeah. To to hopefully get an invite back earlier, but more I'll, to come on that in a little bit. But thanks for having me back. I love surprises. Matt, you are, uh, you know, there's different guests that I say have a, have a theme tied to them when you look at their picks. And I know it's still early with just two picks for you so far, but controversial would be the word of the day with Matt DiStefano picks. Starting with Rick Springfield, uh, a man who had multiple <laughs> multiple top 10 dude had like 19 hits <laughs> and now now we're here to talk about phantom planets california which was not their highest charting single really wasn't it, it wasn't no. now i'll i'll make an argument for both of those first one First time I was on, I gave Matt like six songs to choose from, and he actually that chose is true. Rick Springfield. Oh, so I will not take any heat from that, but I will also say that has been brought up a lot on the podcast where an artist has multiple hits but is only really known for one. I am an avid listener, so I've heard the Rick Springfield episode brought up, so I'll at least take that credit for giving you a reference. Yeah, it is the most forward. referenced episode, I'm sure, in conversation. <laughs> but... Another referenced episode, which is going to defend my Phantom Planet pick, is Cisco. So, yeah, I think right. I think we're looking at a Cisco rule where the song that charted highest for Phantom Planet was coasting off the success of their album, The Guest, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. The song California today. Well, I don't even know what the others. I'm... Big Brett charted higher. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, here's the weird Chris case. So this my is my point then. Yeah, this is the situation that I wrote down. It's weird because California, at least according to the Billboard charts, which is the charts that we utilize here, California never crossed over onto the Billboard Hot 100. It was only on an alternative radio hit, and it peaked at 35. Um, but then Big Brett charted in the top 20 on the same alternative airwaves chart. But in every other country in the world. California is the only charting hit for Phantom Planet anyway. So it, it still kind of works. And also because of it being the theme to the OC, it kind of is the song that everybody knows by this band. And I vaguely remember Big Brett because it had a really weird, I think it was one of the last Spike Jones music videos. Like it's a very weird music video that's hard to forget about. Um, but yeah, I mean, California, when you say Phantom Planet, people are going to think California, except for Chris, who made his Zencaster name Big Chris. <laughs> well, I just named it that. I wasn't even thinking about that. So, I wasn't even thinking about that song when I made my name for, for this Big Chris. I just sometimes go as Big Chris only in here. But dude, I got to start by saying Phantom Planet is awesome. Phantom Planet, yes. this, this album, The Guest, was... I, it brings back so many memories for me because when Punchline was first touring, this was one of the albums. It was this, that Duncan Sheik early 2000s album and Saves a Day, Stay What You Are were like three albums that were just on constant loop in our van. So like every song on this album it is like a hit to me, <laughs> like in my brain. And I, but I do know that California is the one everyone knows. I didn't watch the OC. Did you guys watch the OC? I've never seen it. What? <laughs> I've actually, 
I've actually pitched a podcast idea to Joe Farron because he is like one of the most diehard OC fans I know, where I almost want to do a Gilmore Guys type vibe where we just go episode by episode, him with like the person who's watched it 10 times and me never watching an episode before <laughs> uh, and bringing on different OC diehards to discuss their favorite episodes with us. But uh We'll see. I have a slightly busy schedule, and so does Joe. So I don't know when, if ever, that will. Who happen. was even on that show? Who was like the star of that show? Is there anybody I would know? Adam Brody. Ben Adam McKenzie, Brody. Adam Brody. Okay. Uh, Misha Barton. Rachel okay. Bilson. Yeah, there was a pretty Peter Gallagher. Yeah, Peter, Peter Gallagher is all up in there. I would be a, a perfect guest for this hypothetical OC podcast. <laughs> I've seen the show the entire series four times. I'm on my fifth rewatch now with my wife, who has never seen it, who's way on board. Both of you said multiple things in the past couple of minutes that brought up like a million thoughts in my mind. Jumping back to the charts for a second, this is tied into the OC. I think what's really interesting, I did a little bit of digging. So it charted on the US charts in 2002 when it was released, but didn't chart anywhere else in the world until 2004 when the OC premiered, which is super interesting. Yeah. The other tie in there is there is actually an OC rewatch podcast. There's one about every show. I'm not te- I'm not telling you not to do one, but oh, but this cast- is the one with the actual stars, right? With, with two the- of the cast members yeah. and they have they must have paid someone <laughs> and asked them like can you recreate the theme song in the closest to royalty free way as possible? <laughs> and it's amazing. I, I encourage you checking it out. But my first surprise I'll bring up because Matt said something that, that kind of triggered that. So like I said, Pretty avid listener to the podcast. Um, There's some things that I hear a lot on the podcast. So I actually came up with a one-hit thunder podcast drinking game. Oh, I love it. (laughs) That I'd like to share with you. I know Matt's not really a drinker, but I'm sure you have some listeners out there. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, we don't have to play it. This is just for your listeners here. So I have a couple rules, um, if you don't mind me sharing the the rules to this game. Oh, man. (laughs) I can't wait for this. Okay. (laughs) It has to be, there has to be something in there about every time Matt mispronounces something, right? (laughs) uh, We'll get there. Okay. We'll get there in a second. (laughs) So, um, so here's the the thing is probably in there. (laughs) That's not a rule, but we can add rules. This is adaptable. Uh, we can hop on Facebook with the listeners, make this work. The the thing that you said, Matt, that brought it up is one rule is Matt sounds like he's maybe making something up. I don't think Spike Jones directed that music video. I have no idea, but that also sounds like a thing that's made up. Is that the zombie music video, by that's the way? That's the zombie music video. I'm oh. almost positive that's a Spike Jones one. That might be later on a, a later album, which... Another thing to bring up, we'll get there in a second. These were your label mates, Chris, for like I, a hiccup in yeah, time. Yeah, like I don't know if we had any crossover. I didn't even realize that. Maybe I heard that back in the day. But when I was watching music video after music video, I was like, this looks like a Tim and Eric video. And then and then it was like Sunshine, who's from like a lot of Tim and Eric skits and from like Steve Brule. I was like, that's Sunshine. And then I looked as like directed by Eric Wareheim. And that was the video from the fuel, the one Fueled by Ramen album. Yeah. Got it. I, maybe, maybe we had like the slightest crossover, but yeah. There was, I looked at the timeline. I think it was, they would have been signed to the label probably before their record came out. 
before right. you guys left the label. Yeah, so we bounced. By the time like, their record yeah. was out, you were gone. Yeah. But anyway, more rules here to this game. Um, one is Chris is bummed that an artist didn't pay their dues before <laughs> yeah. having a head. <laughs> yes. That's one. Um, one is any mention of Johnny's pool you have to drink. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> That's one. Um, there's another one. Chris is upset that an artist had a hit and then stopped making music afterwards. Oh. oh, Matt, too. Matt doesn't like that either. Do you, Matt? No, I'm not a fan. Also, it took a little bit of Googling, but the IMDb page for Phantom Planet's Big Brat music video does have the director listed as Spike Jones. Oh, <laughs> I'll take okay. it. Well, okay. the rule's not that, that Matt says something that's made up. It's something that sounds like it's maybe made up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> A <laughs> uh, couple, couple more quick rules, and then, uh, then we can get on with talking about this song in some capacity. One, obviously, Matt gets a song title incorrect. Um, <laughs> there's the, you have to finish your drink if Matt mispronounces an artist's name, though. So that's, oh, that's a big rule. Cisco rule is mentioned. Rick Springfield's mentioned. Um, someone does the O from Unbelievable, <laughs> and then last rule is Chris mentions. That he'd be happy to have one hit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love I love this game, but I feel like people are gonna get really drunk. <laughs> within, oh yeah, it's not for the fan of heart. And, and yeah, within the thirty minute podcast, they are like passed out shit. Done. Done. <laughs> I will. It's like a power hour. Uh, you have to get your stomach pumped. If you have to take a drink every time Matt says, I feel like. Oh, my God. And I try to edit around those, too, and I still screw up. I love this game. We're, we're going to have to put these rules up on the Internet so people can see them. We'll put them, we'll put them in the One Hit Thunder Facebook group so people can play along. We'll I, pin it. I will play this game with my friends at some point. I guarantee you we'll pick a random episode and play this. I love it. Love it. So I want to talk a little bit about the formation of Phantom Planet. Um, because one of the first facts about them is probably the snarkiest note I've written in a while. Their very first show while they were still in high school was at the Troubadour, which is definitely a thing that can happen to anybody, not just a band whose drummer is a famous dire director's son. Yeah, they're rich kids. California Strokes. Yeah, um, I assume that. But wait a second. The Troubadour, it's not like that big of a deal. The Troubadour, that's not like a huge room or something like that's The first show I ever played was in an apartment. Yeah, yeah that's, so. what I mean. that's a good point. That That is a good point. But like, I'm also thinking they, they were like in high school, I think, at the time. And when you're in high school, I guess I'd assume also when you're like living in Hollywood that you probably know a lot of people and can get a lot of your high school friends to come. I don't know. I'm not sticking up no, for them really too much. I understand what you're saying. But it's not just, oh, they're in California and they know famous people. Jason Schwartzman's uncle is Francis Ford Coppola and his cousins are Nick Cage and Sofia Coppola. Like, I did not know he, that. Yeah, like I'm sure he was just like, Uncle Francis, I've got a band. Where should we play? And he's like, I'll make some calls to the Troubadour and see if they have an opening tonight. You want to be in a movie, kid? <laughs> yeah, like, wow. He's like, I, I am. I'm already an actor. I didn't read that stuff. And I do kind of hold that kind of same thing against the strokes. And today when I was really diving into like the visuals of their music videos and stuff, because I think their music is different than the strokes. I actually like their music better than the strokes, um, which yeah. might be a controversial opinion because I know how beloved the strokes are. I think that they actually actively shifted their sound towards the strokes with the follow-up album. Yeah. Like... So that's what lost me. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I kind of hear that because I, this album that california is on i can't stress it enough it is just 
hit after hit after hit. The fact that I mean, hit to me songs that songs that if I wrote them, I'd be like, "This is a hit." Uh, always on my mind. Oh, this is a hit. This is uh, oh, there's so many jams on this album. Um, Nobody's fault used to be played. I, I worked at KB Toys in high school and college, and I was in college when this album came out. And on the KB Toys radio, that was like goofy children's songs and occasionally a song you'd heard of. Nobody's fault was on that playlist, so it was. A nice surprise when I was, you know, pricing action figures to to hear some Phantom Planet. And that's a deep cut on this album. <laughs> it like, is. That's it, one of my favorite songs on this album. It's like the first three songs for sure sound like Lonely Day. These songs all sound like, you know, hits like beyond rock, like top 40 hits. And I, these guys... Had to be a little bit disappointed. I mean, they couldn't be too disappointed. Their song ended up becoming the theme song to a huge show. But that there wasn't four or five hits on this album is surprising. Yeah. And so then that, that we well, were talking about how like the follow up album, their self-titled Phantom Planet, they kind of went for more of a stroke sound. That's where the, the big brat song comes from. And in the recording process is when Jason Schwartzman left, and then shortly after they finished, their uh, guitarist left the band as well. And I wonder, just based on the music that Jason Schwartzman has made since with like Coconut Records, I wonder if it was that shift in sound that he was just like not interested in. Because you listen to those Coconut Records releases, and they definitely have way more of the first two Phantom Planet like indie vibe sound to it than like what became like the really distorted garage rock type music that they made on that self-titled album yeah i would definitely agree with that those fan the coconut records albums are great that song west coast is oh it's so good what <laughs> i put it in my top 10 songs i love it it's wow i don't even know what this is how do i not know it's about just a this? jason schwartzman solo project like oh. it's him just like playing guitar and ukulele and whatnot and doing songs but it's so good for a second there i thought you disappeared it rains a lot this time of year and we both go together if one falls down i talk out loud like you're still really good yeah you know i i kind of you you i didn't know all these schwartzman connections i was actually impressed i'm like wow he went from playing drums and fan of planet to becoming like a borderline a-list actor <laughs> you know uh, but i didn't know the connections and let's assume that probably lots of money too but that yeah. stuff aside the dude is super talented and yeah I don't know if you guys watched live performances of them at all. I watched them on Letterman. I watched them on Conan. On Letterman, watch Jason Schwartzman play drums on California. It is He is a really good drummer. And not only that, he's like fun to watch. Like he is so animated when he's playing the drums. And then when they played on Conan, Max Weinberg played the drums and Jason Schwartzman played the piano. It was yeah. awesome. Like the dude's nice. kind of a beast. They also, I feel like that era of Conan was notorious for bands sounding really bad on Conan. I remember a lot of the like quote unquote scene bands would go on there and sound like trash. Yeah. But Phantom Planet sounds amazing. Dude. The the mix is so good. They're so on point. They, I'd never even like 
dug into anything live from them before and was super impressed by that. I can't believe how good this band sounds. Every performance I watched of them. Yeah, those late night shows, that's a real crapshoot with those things, man. Sometimes bands sound terrible on those. And I was really impressed. I watched a couple different Letterman appearances by them. And every time they brought uh, Paul Schaefer and the whole the whole band over there were incorporated. They incorporated like the brass section vocals. Paul Schaefer played the piano on California when they played it on there. And, you know, I think that's so cool to incorporate, you know, on both shows that I watched them on Conan and there, they're, they're incorporating the band leader into it, which I would absolutely want to do if I ever had the opportunity to do that. That's so cool. And yeah, well, in Geffen, Geffen records was pushing this band. And it's obvious if you just look at like, what, what else was this band in during the time that they were on Geffen records? And it's like, they appeared on Sabrina the Teenage Witch and performed a song like before even California. That was like in 1999 they did that. Then they had songs in Smallville, Not Another Teen Movie, One Tree Hill, The Amazing Spider-Man Movie, Gossip Girl. Like They were getting their songs into some of the biggest <laughs> movies and TV shows at that time. Um, but then the other fun fact is that they, <laughs> they appear in Richard Linkletter's remake <laughs> Of the Bad News Bears, but under the name The Blood Farts, which is such an absurd name for them to perform under. But, uh, I, I mean, we're, we're talking a lot about Jason Schwartzman being a beast, but we do have to give a lot of credit also to the the vocalist. Alex Greenwald yeah. is a really solid singer. And uh, I went down this very weird uh, rabbit hole when I was reading on the IMDb because I read that he did a jazz fusion cover of Radiohead's Just. Yeah, with Mark Ronson. Yeah. With Mark Ronson for a Radiohead tribute album. And then I found myself listening to some of the random tracks on that. And Sia does an unbelievable rendition of Paranoid Android on that record. That's like theremin piano and a string section with him like with her like whispering the lyrics mm. over top of all of it. It is the creepiest cover of Paranoid Android. And I very much recommend people check that shit out. I will check that out. Yeah. Hey, I mean, <laughs> Alex Greenwald too. You did you also have to mention he was in Donnie Darko. <laughs> oh, that's right. Who was he in Donnie Darko? He plays uh Seth Devlin and I looked it up on YouTube. He's the other bully with Seth Rogen. Interesting. Oh, I also need to call out everyone has to drink cuz this record did not come out on Geffen Matt. It came out on Epic. This one came out on Apple? Oh, that's right, because they did a merger. That's right. All right, we're getting into technicalities. Drink Chris's friends. <laughs> yes, if you listen to this episode, throw one back. Oh, well, <laughs> look, I want to go back to what you were saying about him. Awesome yes. singer, and not only recorded, every live version I saw of them, he sings flawlessly. He sings so, so good. And also, really good-looking guy. Looks aside, the band also had, like, a look, a cool look. And they seems like they had everything going for them imaginable. Music aside, they had the music part down. This album, I still love this album. And the music is the the album's packed full of hits. They're on a major label. They have all these connections. They're playing the late night shows. They're getting the songs featured and things. Why are we doing an episode of One Hit Thunder about them right now? What happened? Yeah. I th- I put them in the same bucket as some other bands that were coming out at the time, like 
you did an episode about OK Go. I feel yeah. like they have similar vibes to that band. This was the same time frame. A band like Jason Schwartzman's other celebrity family cousin, uh, Rooney, was another band oh, yeah. that was kind of in this same wheelhouse. Um, there's some other stuff from around that time, too. I feel like it was just wrong place, wrong time. Music was moving in a different direction, which the Strokes mm-hmm. tried to do and tried to pivot and maybe too little too late. I don't know. Or their fan base, like myself, I really liked the first record too and didn't care when they tried to sound like the Strokes and was a little bit back in when they made the, the third Fuel by Ramen record and tried to kind of capture their sound of the of the guest. Wrong place, wrong time is my thought. Could we take it? I guess I was thinking about it. Could it be exactly what you're saying, Matt, that they sound perfect. It's like a 60s throwback almost in certain ways with a a rock edge. But at this time, we're talking 2002, we're about to emerge into the rise of, I, I mean, without a better way to put it, emo music, right? Yeah. And maybe this throwback 60s sort of sunshiny in some ways thing wasn't oh man how am i forgetting no, this I, matt that we're, we're talking about post 9 11 at this point we are talking post 9 11 but i actually think i think it's the total opposite in a certain sense i think if they kept the sound of the guests i think they made a a bad gamble <laughs> i think that they saw all of the dub bands doing this garage rock throwback and leaned into that sound when what they were doing on the guest was pretty much going to become what was the sound of like the MySpace years of music more so, which was that more like indie and emo rock music. Like it almost felt like they walked away from what they were doing at the absolute wrong time to walk away from that sound. Maybe. I also think they kind of tread this weird ground between they, like Chris said, they do kind of the throwback sunny sixties thing, sort of like power pop um, vibe on some songs, which you know, your average MySpacer probably wasn't that into, but they're also not that cool of a band, either (laughs) sonically or maybe, you know, aesthetically, where people who were reading Pitchfork or Stereo Gum or the more indie-centric music websites around that time wrote them off as this uncool band. Right. So do you think that they fall, and man, oh, man, I could maybe relate to this in in certain ways. Do they maybe fall in the crack of not a band that is going to play at Warped Tour and people are moshing real hard to, but also not, like you're saying, hip or cool enough for Pitchfork to like give it a high rating and and talk about them all the time? Did they fall through that crack? Or maybe the fact that... You know, as far as that indie cred or whatever, maybe it was the fact that, yeah, they were instantaneously signed to a major label. Didn't, as I guess I I bring up a lot, didn't pay a lot of dues, I guess. No, I would say that they did, though, because they did form in 94 and it wasn't until 2002 when they put out the guests. So there was, you know, at least eight years of them. Right playing the the L.A. club scene, like maybe they had an upper hand on getting onto bigger shows sooner than like the average group of teenagers forming a band. But like they weren't just like handed a record label in 1994 after their first performance at the Troubadour either. I so I I did some quick Googling on some dates. I think their biggest fault was their change in sound because Matt pointed out something that I didn't think about. Yes, this single came out in 2002 and it peaked at 35 
on the Billboard charts. But the first episode of the OC, when the song really popped off in the public eye, was August of 2003, and the single for Big Brett came out in like January of 2004. So like they had already shifted away from the guest sound into what their next album was at the time that people were discovering the guest and had a whole record that was a completely different sound ready to go as their big promotion when they were in the spotlight. I also it also the the shift was a little late. Like the strokes yeah. were already happening and had yeah. been for a bit in the white. Yeah, they were on their and... second or third album by '94 or 2004. Yeah, I think it was their, their second "Room on Fire." Yeah. I, I think was right around that same time. So they already that change had already happened. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, maybe that was the timing. Yeah, like like Matt said, it all comes down to the timing of the sound is probably the only thing that held them back from being. I don't know, train big <laughs> yeah. or something, you know, they could like, have been a train. They could have right fit right in that. That's with the right song, which who's to say this wasn't the right song, but they could have had that crossover thing happen for them. It was the right song, the wrong follow up. That's what it is. Like, I love that song, Big Brad. I think it's a really catchy yeah, song, but I like it, too. it is after you go from California, that is not the the, the song to like ride off of California success really mm-hmm. and the rest of that record is not as good as Big Brad no no Big Brad is a great opening track and then it just kind of <laughs> peters out pretty quick did you guys listen quick. so we've talked a lot about The Guest and the self-titled record did you guys dive into any of their other stuff the, either like the first record or later stuff I didn't listen to the, the Raise the Dead record which was the Fueled by Ramen one that I, one has some really good songs on it that kind of fit the vibe of The Guest it's it's probably 50-50, but there's some really strong tracks on that one. Yeah. Not enough and too late. And Fueled by Ramen was probably a weird... They are probably too early on Fueled by Ramen, too, because that's that time frame where it was, you know, Punchline saying farewell, and uh, it was the, the Academy Is, and it was Gym Class Heroes, and it was that whole wave of music happening before Fueled by Ramen became closer to what it is today, where it is a little bit more of a mainstream pop label. So I think they were kind of out of place there, too. Well, it didn't help that they released that album and then went on a 12-year hiatus from recording immediately <laughs> after as well. That's that's what I wanted to say was, okay, so I haven't heard their first album. I did. It's fine. I yeah, Okay. Yeah. I did listen to a good bit of everything else, including now they took a hiatus from 2008 until 2019. And then in 2020, they released new music. And there is a song from their newest album called Only One that is awesome. It is really, really good. Kind of puts me in the mind of something that like Vampire Weekend would do or something. Like that's another band I really put in the same lane as these guys. But I thought it was great. It seemed like it picked right back up. Like if Only One would have been the follow-up to the guest, I think that song could have been a hit too. I don't know if Yeah, we wouldn't be that. having this conversation at all at that point. <laughs> it sounded like they just wanted to rock harder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, ain't yeah. nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I can't blame them <laughs> well, too much also, for that. After the the time frame in between, well, we talked a little bit about what Jason Schwartzman did afterwards musically, but this band did crazy things. Like one of the guys is in Maroon Five now, uh, the bass player, and has produced all sorts of stuff and co-written songs with like Band of Horses and Sarah Bareilles. They've had a really cool track record after. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they've, no, they've done valid. a lot of stuff. And Alex Greenwald 
during that during that hiatus was in a relationship with engaged to and then unengaged from Brie Larson. Did you guys know that? Oh, I did not. Yeah. Yeah. They were together for a pretty long time, I think. So, I mean, that's none of our business, <laughs> but I mean, but he's he a hot guy. Yeah. So that's what obviously, yeah. you know, he's going to have a hot celebrity fiance exactly. and ex fiance. Exactly. And one of the guys has a band called Vibe Mountain, which is just a good ass name for a band. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. It is mind-blowing and heartbreaking how many original scripts are written every year but are never made. So we seek out these scripts and bring them to life with full audio production and professional actors. Check us out at Undiscover Scripts. Movies made of paper. Wherever you get your podcasts. Free! Can we talk about the song that we're here to talk about a little bit? Well, I was going to (laughs) ask you about this because the song, California, is co-credited to Al Jolson because of his song, California, Here I Come. And I listened to it, and I don't he, like. They were like, "Oh, it shares like lyrical and melodic similarities." I heard no melodic similarities, and the only comparable thing is that his song. He says, "California, here I come, right back where I started from." That is the only lyric that is shared amongst these two songs. I feel like it's insane that he gets a full co-credit on the songwriting for this, or as the state does. I did. I didn't know that. I had never heard that song you're talking about, and I, I didn't know that. But I'll take your word for it. That's been a common theme on recent episodes. People, <laughs> uh, people lifting things or thinking things have been lifted from them. Which, oh man, it's hard. I mean, I guess it's not that hard, but it's kind of like I hear comedians say this a lot. I hear like Mark Marin say this on his podcast, like. If you came up with something and you say it up there, someone's probably thought of that before and said it. It's kind of like that same thing in music, too, in a, in a way. I mean, unless you get really, really wild with your lyrics, I suppose. But California, here I come, right back where I started from. I guess maybe if someone else said that before, that's kind of a original couple of lines. I, I don't know. 
that aside, this song is just this. I've never heard a song that is just one big build. This song just build, build. <laughs> it is. Okay, ready for build number four of the song? All right. <laughs> we'll go from build number four into build number five after after a brief interlude. It's just build after – it's just one big build. But I think that's awesome. I've never heard another song that does that. I also think it's a song that doesn't feel repetitive but has a lot of re- things that repeat in it. Yeah. It's that piano lo- loop. Like that piano piece – as soon as they stumbled onto that piano melody, they definitely were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, there's no <laughs> yeah. way. Like, they they hit those notes and they were like, well, we've got our we've got our lead single, guys. Let's get to the studio. Probably. I mean, I kind of agree. I, when I think about that piano part, if I sat down at this piano behind me right now, <laughs> which, which I don't play nearly enough, uh, and wrote that, I'd be like, Hell yeah! Well, because they know? even built every verse around it. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, the, it's like the they melody. were like, yeah, it's the vocal melody. <laughs> like, <laughs> Do we think that this song is like the indie rock version of Motley Crue's "Home Sweet Home"? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I like I like this way more than that. Another thing about this song is now when I analyze the lyrics a little more, I'm like, okay, I get it. But I thought it was funny that it was California. Here we come. When they're already from California, I thought like if I'm a dude from like southwestern Pennsylvania and I'm going out to the West Coast to make it or something, it feels like what I should be singing. Not four guys who are literally from Hollywood, California. Wait, so I was saying you need to you need to pump the brakes because we are on a call right now with a dude from Pennsylvania who wrote a song called Keystone and another guy from Pennsylvania who wrote a song about how you can't spell home without Pennsylvania. There's, there's nothing well, wrong with writing a love song to your state. Uh, yeah, but, <laughs> like, but but our songs weren't. Hey, I'm I'm come I'm dreaming of Pennsylvania and I'm coming there one day. No, like, Goldie's was 100. percent It kind of was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, I'm not gonna lie. It was a long time ago. Okay. But it was. But that was about you moving Looks, back home from California, right? Uh, that was part of yeah. Part of the story was that. But I think this song. I have a friend who has played in numerous bands over the years uh, a band that he was in a long time ago uh, they were from columbus ohio whenever they would go out on a tour when they got back to columbus they would drive around the town with their van uh windows open and crank the boys are back yeah. in town <laughs> and i feel like this song is like phantom planet's version of that it feels like a coming home from tour song to me based okay. on the lyrics right and i and that's what i was getting at when i said that i did after i analyzed them yeah i get it now it's like they're I guess the theme of the song is that they're they're rushing back because they have a show or whatever. And that is a pretty cool feeling, especially, you know, I got to experience that a few times in my life where you booked a tour and it was pretty good. And then you come back home and the last show of the tour is your hometown show, which you know is going to be the best one. And you've just been on this adventure with your friends and you come back and you that boys are back in town moment you know like that like rolling down the windows i get that that's like a a cool feeling it's like you feel like you're in a movie or something so yeah i get that and i guess that's what this song is yeah no especially the the last the last verse for sure kind of really implies that with the pedal to the floor thinking of the roar gotta get us to the show because california here we come right back where we started from right 
So it's like, all right, this is the end of the tour. We're coming back home, and we know that the crowd's going to be roaring like crazy when we hit that stage because it's our hometown crowd or whatever. That right. needs to be a band rule. Yeah. Like, I know Coldplay has kind of set this, or maybe it was U2 that set the example for Coldplay. I don't know. Use the internet. Uh, but this thing about bigger bands where there's a primary songwriter where they share royalties through the whole band regardless of who wrote the song which helps keep bands together because there's not financial arguments and there's not that sort of thing. Should be a rule if your band's getting big. I, yes. I adhere to that. Another rule is you should have a killer show to end every tour. If you end a tour on a show that's a bummer, it's really, it really makes it so much more difficult yeah. to go and write new music and want to book another tour <laughs> than coming home triumphant. So band rule, if you're in a band, make that happen for yourself. Yeah, and I think you have to make sure that those hometown shows are always the best show, no matter where that town happens to be. You know, there, there's always people that like music wherever. And yeah, it's a cool feeling. As far as, hey, what? So what did you say this this didn't really chart, Matt? Or Yeah, or? so let me, so I've got a little game for us, actually. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so oh, okay. Uh, this is similar to the game we played on the uh, Kid Sister, where we're going to do it Family Feud style almost. Which, by but, the uh, way, I'm one of the people who loved Kid Sister when that song came out. <laughs> and I texted Matt as soon as that episode came out. I was like, I love that you guys are doing a Kid Sister episode, because that whole record was awesome. <laughs> I had never uh, heard I had never heard her before, but now I like her. You yeah, can cut cool. that out if you need to. Just want to. No, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. The song, the song peaked at thirty-five on the alternative airplay chart on April sixth, two thousand two. At the time, the number one song was "Youth of the Nation" by POD, <laughs> and then the following week, the number one song was "The Middle" by Jimmy Eat World. So, there are six artists in the history of this chart, which started in nineteen eighty-eight, that have had over ten number one hits on the alternative airplay charts uh going back and forth i want to see if you can name all six of them since you said since when 1988 okay so essentially treat as if the charts started in the 90s really okay and in in 10 there there's 10 hits or more 10 number one hits or more oh number one hits I've got like three bands come to the top of mine already. I mean, right. I, if he would have said it started a little bit earlier, I, my my first, I got to, I can't, I got to go with my instinct. REM. So REM is not in the top six, but this wasn't going to be a game show thing. This was going to be later. REM has one of the only three songs to debut at number one with "What's the Frequency, Kenneth?" Okay. All right. Well, All right, Matt, your turn. <laughs> I gotta go. Foo Fighters. So Foo Fighters is currently at number six with 10 hits. Mm. Uh, they also have had a number one hit for three decades in a row in the 90s, in the 2000s, and the 2010s. This is just a little bit of my own little editing in here, but I actually believe that they will join the four-decade group and probably be at the top of the list before the end of the 2020s wow. at the rate that they're going. They are in second place for the longest amount of time at number one with 82 weeks that they've had songs in the number one slot on wow. this uh, chart. Remind right, me Chris, what the chart is. It's the alternative radio. Alternative airplay? radio play, basically. Yeah. Oh, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam did not make wow. the list. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Damn, I suck. All right, bounce it back to Matt. I'm going to go. I don't know if they'd be played on this chart, but I mentioned them earlier. Coldplay? 
Coldplay did not make it on this chart. All right, Chris, you got one more chance to stay um, in the game here. Soundgarden. So Soundgarden did not make the chart, but <laughs> I have another fun fact. Soundgarden has the distinct record that the song Black Hole Sun is the only time in the history of the chart that the that a song was the best-selling alternative single of the year without being number one ever. So Black Hole Sun peaked out at number wow. two, but it stayed on the chart consistently. That At the end of 1994, it was still the best-selling overall alternative single of the year. Wow. Um, and Matt, do you want to get one last guess in before I read the rest of the chart here? Um, right now, we've got the sixth-place one with Foo Fighters only. Yeah, I'll go another one I had mine, Green Day. Green Day at number two. 12 hits. They are one of two groups that have had a number one hit for four decades in a row. Uh, so the rest of the chart was Cage the Elephant also had 10 number one hits. What? On what? The I don't yes. know one song by them. <laughs> I know the song Trouble. That's it. I have no clue on that one. Number four was 21 Pilots uh, had 10 number one hits. Linkin Park had 11 number uh. one hits. And in the number one slot with 14 number one hits... Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, they are the other group gross. that has had a number one hit for four decades, and they hold the record for the most time at number one with 89 weeks as number one, holding a number one slot on the charts. Well, a, a yabba dabba dee da ding dong ding dong to them. <laughs> speaking of songs about California. <laughs> oh, right. Well, speaking, yeah. of, speaking of that, Chris, would you like to know what the other two songs were that debuted at number one? Because one of them is Danny California by yep. the Red Hot Joy Peppers. Yep. And then uh, the third one was What I've Done by Linkin Park. That's okay. a little brief history on the alternative <laughs> airplay charts that I dug up while trying to figure out what the hell those charts were. <laughs> yeah. Well, as soon as you started naming bands, it clicked. I was like, okay, this is the the Y100 slash Radio 1045 for the, yes. the Philadelphia folks who are listening, <laughs> that all the, the like local alternative rock station, what they play, which now is 21 Pilots, Cage the Elephant, that sort of yeah. thing. Checks out. But I don't know any Cage the Elephant songs. I don't either. I actually just remembered, I saw Cage the Elephant a couple years ago. <laughs> they, totally gone from my mind. They played a tour with Beck and Spoon, and they were direct support for Beck, and the crowd was insane for them. I didn't know any of the songs, but the crowd was going nuts, and a lot of them left before back. So what? all I, checks out. I would have assumed that this was like a a heavy band. How do I not know this band? No, they're like a chilled out indie rock band. They're, are they like really? in a Imagine Dragons? Yeah, kinda? you're not selling this. <laughs> you're not really selling this to me. This actually explains everything. The that song and most of that record was produced and co-written by Dan of the Black Keys. So they have a very, oh, like, Black no. Keys type sound. Okay. That cool. makes sense. All right. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. So Phantom <laughs> Planet, what, how we feel? How we feel well, about before, Planet? Well, before we do the Thunder or yeah. Blunder, can okay. I bring out another surprise? Yeah. Ooh. I okay. love surprises. So I discovered I have four copies of this album in my house. Wow. <laughs> Somehow. I have four copies of The Guest. Um, I, I bought the CD when it came out. Um, later on, I bought at a thrift store a copy of the self-titled album that also came. I mean, we're on video. I have right this, now. the double disc one. It's the yeah. double disc. It has both albums in one for <laughs> who knows what reason. Probably the OC. But, and I'll explain why I have these in a second. Um, number one, I have a signed copy of the guest by wow. all five band members. 
And then number two, I have another copy of The Guest signed by all five band members. <laughs> totally forgot about this until earlier this week. I'll explain why I have them in a second. But I would like to give one of these away to your listeners. Oh, and wow. I am open to how we want to do that. Do we do a, they play the drinking game at home and whoever's alive gets it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this one this one will take care of everybody. They have to follow One Hit Thunder Podcast on Instagram. You can share your tag. They have to follow me on Instagram, which I'll share my tag in a minute. And then comment on the post about this episode to be entered to win. Perfect. I like that. Okay, that's what it, it is. Follow, follow the One Hit Thunder and the what is the handle that they're going to be following for you? Yeah, we'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, team, <laughs> team Goldie PHL. T-E-A-M-G-O-L-D-I-E-P-H-L, like Philadelphia. There we go. So follow both of those. When this episode gets dropped, comment that you want the CD. And uh, we'll go through and we'll pick a random name. And Matt, will get your information and, and send it to you. Also, Matt, I... Also, like you, couldn't understand why that double CD came out until we were talking about this. And obviously, it was because the OC had popped off and they had a brand new album out that didn't have California on it. And right. was like, yo, if we just bundle this as a double disc. We can trick them. We can <laughs> we trick can them into buying our new album that they won't like, but also get the that's, old album for free. That's smart, actually. That's really <laughs> Think about that with Punchline. Yeah, yeah. dude, Chris. Well, how, I have, how do you do that? If Punchline ever had an unexpected blow up song out of nowhere a la like this teenage dirtbag tiktok thing that's happening that they have to put out a new album that also contains like a punchline's greatest hits second discs or it's like hey here's like 20 years of music that you probably want to also know before you come and see us that would live. be a, that would be a great idea if this was like 2007 and people still <laughs> still want cds but unfortunately hey, unfortunately it doesn't do, work baby. that way but i guess you could theoretically release like an album and have like a greatest hits album just as like track 11 12 13 like re-release yeah. them that so there might be an idea sprinkle them in yep yeah make sure so they me, know all the hits <laughs> i'll explain real quick why i have these because who has two signed copies of phantom planets the guest and forgets about them clearly doesn't care enough about phantom planet that they <laughs> forgot that they had them so during this time frame my sister was the columbia records college rep nice. for the college that we both went to so she would get at the time iron maiden was re-releasing all their albums so i have like every copy of iron maiden's re-release on cd but also this album came out uh so she was probably supposed to give these away from the college radio station as part of a contest but here we are 20 years later and someone who probably doesn't care about them but thinks this is funny is going to end up with this and that makes me happy <laughs> i love it i love it that's fantastic all right so wh where are we landing on this i feel like this is pretty obvious for all of us but thunder or blunder on a uh, phantom planet i'll say i'm i'm torn about it because i think this song and this record are thunder i think a lot of their other music is not thunder but i think everything surrounding this band all the things they did in the future how good they sound live when they were promoting this record, I have to give it a thunder. I'm going to agree with that. I'm going to say that this is one of those ones where, I mean, Chris put it out there just as uh, pretty early on in the episode, but regardless, like if the original basis of one hit thunder was, should this band have had more hits just based on the track list of the guest alone? The answer is 
yes, we should not be recording an episode on this band. Like, this band should have had at least, like, maybe if we were doing a podcast called, like, One Album Wonders about bands who had, like, a massive one record and then, like, fell off, we would be talking, we should be talking about them. But there was so many good songs on the guest that should have been bigger singles, and it really just feels like people were beginning to appreciate what the guest was at the exact time that they had shifted away from that sound and lost like some of the key members of the band. Uh, so it was just a bad timing situation. But but if people had gotten on board when this single was first released and it was like a number one hit, like it should have been, then I think there would have been other pretty decent-sized follow-up singles off of the guests that would have kept them out of even being in the discussion of a one-hit wonder podcast. So you're saying Thunder? Yeah, Thunder. Okay. That's my long-winded <laughs> way of Thunder. Um, TLDR, Thunder. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this band really had it all. They, you know, great music, great songs, great players. They seem to have a lot of advantages that a lot of other bands might not have in connections and stuff, which I won't hold that against them. You can't help it. If you have advantages, you know, capitalize on them. Use them. Uh, what are you going to – I can't really talk shit on that. Uh, I just think that maybe they made some bl- they made some blunders and some decisions, and one of those decisions was stopping being a band for eleven years. Uh, but it seems like they were all busy doing other musical things, and it seems like they're all successful. And when they came back, like I said, that song "Only One" is really really good, and I think you know Alex Greenwald and the boys they they still got it. I'm gonna say Thunder for Phantom Planet, very very Thunder. You know, and you brought up a good point about something uh, going on hiatus for multiple years before coming back. Uh, And I can't help but notice that Matt's handle was Team Goldie PHL. But I thought that, I I mean, I saw the coffin that Team Goldie was dead and buried. Uh, What's the story with that? Yeah, so like past two years have been weird for everybody, right? Did anyone have a a weird couple of years? I don't know. Um, But yeah, so... Lots of things changed. Number one, I got married, which was fun. Chris actually did. I wanted to shout this out on the podcast. Chris did my wedding favors, which were <laughs> pins of my face and my wife's face. Did people that like we gave them? to our guests? People loved them. People nice. were wearing them as earrings. People nice. were putting them on themselves. <laughs> Big hit. Other things that changed. I play in a band called Cassettes. Uh, we've been demoing a new record for a while, but kind of had to put things on pause over the past two years. Have been sort of slowly getting the engine running again with that. But over about the past year or so, I uh, just started recording some songs right where I am. I, I spend a lot of time at my desk in my basement. I work from home and I also record music at this desk and started recording some songs that were a little bit closer to a project that I used to do called Team Goldie that was really fun and sort of a, a pop punk hip hop vibe, which is uh, not like you're maybe hearing now, but kind of adjacent to your... Uh, your pop punk hip hop return that has been happening lately. So I just started recording a bunch of songs. They just kept coming out and I wanted to share them with everyone. So there are two singles that are out right now streaming everywhere. Uh, My plan is to release a new single every month for the foreseeable future. Probably got about a year queued up. So we have lots of new music to share out. I don't know if I'll play shows, who knows? But I'm really excited to share some new music that's really fun and kind of 
getting back to the roots of what made that Team Goldie project really fun. Because towards the end, I was a little burned out, got the the music industry blues from having some near misses with some cool music industry stuff and kind of had to put it on pause, but got back to why it was fun in the first place, uh, which was making music in my bedroom or basement and sharing it with people. So excited to share that. And uh, yeah, go check it out. Yeah, the music industry blues part is still very frustrating because <laughs> the last like five or six years, I've been hearing music on the radio as number one hits that I'm like, this is pretty close to what Matt was doing like yeah, 15 dude, years ago. <laughs> when 21 Pilots blew up, I got so many texts <laughs> that were like, this is this is your your sort of vibe. These This band kind of sounds like what you were doing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool stuff. But yeah, I'm excited to put some stuff out again. Um, so people can check that out. Anywhere music is streaming, there's I'm Back. Uh, more songs to come, hopefully every month. Uh, some merch that is hopefully up now on teamgoldie.com. If not, merch coming really soon. But yeah, check it out, teamgoldie.com, Instagram, teamgoldiephl, where you can also follow and comment. Get that signed Phantom Planet CD. Teamgoldiephl on Twitter as well. Well, I'm back, and I ain't never left. Oh, we ain't never met. Whoa, I'm back and I ain't ever left or we ain't ever met Whoa Here we go This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Ophalios of the bands Punchline, Pack, and Another Cheetah, and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing the new Team Goldie single, I'm Back, which is currently streaming everywhere. One Hit Thunder is on Patreon now. Become a patron and get bonus content, early episodes, and a chance to vote for future episodes at patreon.com backslash OHT podcast. Do you want to start a podcast? Contact Chris and myself at weknowpodcasting.com for how we can make your show sound as professional as possible. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting apps and tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. The thing that used to keep me up at night and slowly drove me out of my mind That's why I'm here again Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media.
Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.